When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the New Books Network. London, 1679. Combining the color and adventure of Alexander Dumas and the thrills of Frederick Forsyth. Early scientists Henry Hunt and Robert Hooke of the Royal Society stumble onto a plot to kill the Queen of England. The Poison Machine is a nail-biting and brilliantly imagined historical thriller that will delight readers of its critically acclaimed predecessor, The Bloodless Boy. Tune in as we speak with Robert J. Lloyd about his recent novel set in Restoration England, The Poison Machine. You're listening to New Books in Historical Fiction, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Robert J. Lloyd, after a 20-year career as a secondary school teacher, has returned to painting and writing and is now working on the third book in the Hunt and Hook series. Rob, welcome to New Books in Historical Fiction. Thank you. Rob, tell us about yourself. Have you always wanted to write historical fiction? What was your pre-writing life like? Okay, well, um, no is the, uh, the the straightforward answer to, to that. Um, I did a fine art degree. I, I wanted to be uh, a landscape painter. So when I when I was uh, still at school, um, did uh, you know the sixth form A level art um, went on to the uh, the degree I, I wanted to be Britain's next great landscape painter. Uh, the degree I did though in Coventry was um, conceptually very, uh, very strong and interesting and various lecturers uh, on there, um, which, which uh, I kind of en- ended up being my, my mentors, um, meant that I moved towards um, a far more kind of um, conceptual, I suppose you'd, you'd call it, but, but it was video, photography, performance, time-based art, um, and I, I got very interested in object-making um, and, and from being very kind of expressive and splatty, my uh, my work um, became very kind of uh, neat, and uh, you know all, all my um, beautiful dovetail joints that I, I made for my furniture, you know, had to be just so. So I had quite a significant change in my uh, uh, in my approach. So I, I did um, three years of the 
degree, uh, the the thesis that I did, it, because I was interested in time-based artists and um, especially the work of Marcel Duchamp, um, I, I did my thesis all about time um, and the, the science and philosophy of, of time. Uh, so that led me on to, to finding an MA uh, degree in Newcastle, which was history of ideas. So I so I moved from the brush to the uh, to the pen. Um, so so that was when I discovered uh, Robert Hooke, who all these years later is one of the main characters in my books. Um, and my my MA thesis was uh, was all about Robert Hooke. But um, you know, I, I my my CV is full of um, interesting and strange things um so so from architectural ironmonger to cinema projectionist to uh, ice cream vendor uh I, I, then i became a teacher i was a teacher for years and and it was about then that i kind of sat down and uh, decided that, that i would write a thriller um and, and because i had all of the the, the research on, on robert hook and the early royal society um i i thought wouldn't it be great to have um hook and his uh, uh his microscopy um, as, as, a, as a kind of investigator, uh, able to analyse um, evidence. And uh, uh, so I've, I've said this before, but, but, but it, you know, a CSI 17th century London, that, that was my, uh, my, my kind of move to, to, to writing of the, the first book. <laughs> Your novels are set in the late 17th century in Restoration England. What led you to write about this particular era? Well, the um, the thesis um, led me to the science, but the the, the centre itself, and, and um, particularly, uh, the, the, I mean, the, the first book has a, a civil wars mystery um, that, that gets answered in the late sixteen seventies. Um, but I, I was I was interested in the civil wars. Um, Robert Hooke, if you you uh, look at his life, he um, went through the the plague of 1665, the fire of 1666, uh, the the restoration in 1660. Uh, he was appointed um, surveyor to the city of London after the fire. Um, so uh, things like the uh, building materials that houses were made from to make them more fire resistant, the the widths of different classes of, of streets. Um, you know that that still bears the uh, the, the imprints of, of Robert Hooke when we walk around London today. So it's a fascinating time, um, uh, quite quite apart from from the science, um, and and also when when I started writing, uh, that there was a lot of um, historical fiction based uh, around the Second World War or the Victorians or the Tudors. Uh, there wasn't very much. Um, in the 17th century, there, there were a few kind of civil war things, but that, that particular slice of history, uh, I, I felt I could move into, and I, I wasn't really treading on too many uh, other authors' toes. Tell us about the main characters of the Poison Machine, Harry Hunt and Robert Hooke. Okay, so um, Robert Hooke um, was... Uh, Born on, on the Isle of Wight, born in 1634. So he's in, he's in his um, mid 40s when my books are set. Um, but he was uh, very, uh, a very interesting character. He, he didn't really have a, a standard schooling. The, the account seems to suggest that he always skipped lessons. He was too busy making things. 
So even as a child, he uh, he, he made a, a working clock from wood, uh, which which apparently works um, quote pretty well. Um, and he made a, a warship, a model warship, which fired its cannons as it uh, went went across the the lake. So he was already a, an inventor. Um, when he went to Oxford, he was picked up by a, a group of people um, led by uh, John Wilkins, who were experimentalists. They were new philosophers, uh, and I think they recognised his ingenuity. Uh, and before long, he was employed by Robert Boyle. And uh, one of the things that he, he did for Boyle um, was to uh, manufacture an air pump which features in, uh, in uh, well, both my books, but mainly in, in the first book, um, which could create a vacuum inside a glass receiver, um, inside which they did various experiments on respiration and combustion and, uh, uh, and the, you know, the, the, the standard um, idea then uh, was nature abhors a vacuum, but uh, Hook, uh, along with Boyle, um, disproved that. You, you can create a, a vacuum or, or a near vacuum um, and uh, experimenting inside that vacuum tells you interesting things about the world as it is, that the absence of air tells you uh, what air is important for. Um, so, you know, I imagine all sorts of puppies and rabbits and birds you know, suffered in the course of their their experiments but they 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 found out all sorts of interesting things so you know i, I had the the air pump the, the bloodless boy was uh the, the whole idea um stemmed from uh, the the image that i had of a, a boy small enough to fit into the receiver um because one of the other things that they experimented in was preservation you could preserve um, food, for example, in inside the uh, the air pump. Um, so, so Hook was um, vital for the uh, um, the science of the time. He was um, uh, really the engine of the Royal Society at, at that time as uh, as curator. Um, but he had all these other strings to his bow as well as as well as spanning all all the kind of. Um, specialisms as we see in science nowadays. Um, he, he was an astronomer, a microscopist. Um, uh, he, he was a paleontologist. He, he did very interesting studies in, in fossils. Um, he, he had the. He, he was an artist. He, he was a. He played the organ. He learned how to play the organ at, uh, at school. Um, he, he was multi-talented. He, he was. He was a genius. Um, Sadly for his reputation, he, he came up against Isaac Newton um, later on, who, who, when he was president of the, the Royal Society, famously kind of tried to suppress the, uh, uh, the the record or the or the memory of, of Robert Hooke. So, so I've, I've got Robert Hooke as uh, one of my main characters, uh, a genius, a polymath. Um, to to work effectively in a thriller, he also needs a sidekick, um, Hook. Uh, by this time was severely hunchbacked um, uh, supposedly from all the work that he did over a turn lathe that he, he uh, ex explained that um, so, so I had his younger assistant as the as the kind of more um, action figure um, and uh, he he kind of uh, does the uh, brunt of the investigation and um, uh, gets himself into all, all sort of scrapes um, so sometimes at Hook's behest but sometimes uh, uh, going against his his uh, instructions, 
so they, they they made it to me they, they made an interesting pair um and uh, and also their, their relationship and it it started to become a portrait of my father <laughs> my, my relationship with my father um hook is quite kind of uh tetchy and um, and judgmental and i i like the kind of play between the uh, the, the two characters so which of these two, Harry or Robert, are you most like? I'm hearing Harry. The, um, yes, Harry um, represents my woolly liberalism, I, I suppose, with, with his views. The, um, the, the Royal Society at the time um, ex- expressed the desire to avoid zeal. They, they had been through the civil wars. If you look at the early records of the uh, Royal Society fellows. If you if you look at the, the membership, they were equally spread between people who had been royalists during the wars, or they had been uh, for Parliament. Um, they they wanted to uh, have an an absence of zeal. They they they, uh, they said, and, and so so that wouldn't bias their uh, uh, their experiments. Uh, so Harry represents, in, in the face of all the kind of madness that ensues after the discovery of a blood-drained boy and the, uh, the, the um, reasons that are ascribed to his death, Harry Harry's the kind of cool-headed um, one who finds his way through to the, uh, the, the actual reason for the, for, for the boy's um, murder. Um, so, so he he represents the, the the kind of new philosophical scientific view, I guess, and uh, uh, and I suppose I, I would like to think he's a, a little bit of a, a self portrait. He's he's certainly squeamish, uh, like like I am. Um, he he sometimes acts be- before he thinks, uh, like I do, um, and he's uh, uh, you know he, he's designed to be a contrast with uh, with Hook, who's the the, the rather severe. Um, genius polymath that uh, uh, is his mentor, but but he also wants to rebel, uh, rebel a, a little bit against. So, so my 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 succinct answer is uh, Harry. I'm I'm not nearly as clever as Hook. Rob, would you give us a no spoilers plot summary of the Poison Machine? Without giving too much away, um, well, it's um, ob- obviously a sequel. Um, and I, I wanted Harry to change um, from book to book. I, I, he's kind of becoming his own man. That, that was part of the, uh, um, but the kind of forward motion of, of book one. He, he's coming out from under Hook's shadow. He wants to prove himself. And so at the end of The uh, Bloodless Boy, he's, he's made an offer um, to, to leave the Royal Society. Um, and in The Poison Machine... Um, he he acts upon that offer, so he he leaves the Royal Society and goes to uh, work for the Board of, of Ordnance, um, and, and a character who appeared in the in the Bloodless Boy uh, for more money for for mercenary reasons, um, really. Um, but is uh, is uh, sent to um, or asked to investigate a murder uh, of a dwarf. And uh, a man's remains have been found in the in the fens. So he leaves London, um, and to everybody's amazement, um, the, the the murder is of, uh, of a man who everyone thought was still alive. Um, an imposter has been uh, living in uh, 
uh, in the dwarf's uh, place. So Captain Jeffrey Hudson um, has been found murdered. Uh, the imposter has disappeared. Uh, Jeffrey Hudson, I, I should say, was the Queen's dwarf. And um, during the civil wars, he went to France with Queen Henrietta Maria, uh, King Charles I's wife, who was in France trying to uh, drum up funds for her husband's uh, army and, and for him fighting uh, the wars. And uh, uh, Jeffrey Hudson was insulted by a member of her retinue. Um, we, we don't know what about, but probably for his smallness. Um, the, the person who insulted him didn't realise that he was a great horseman and an excellent shot. Uh, and Jeffrey Hudson promptly uh, shot him dead. Um, uh, so so there, there's this other strand of, of what happened to Jeffrey Hudson when he escaped from, from France. The real Jeffrey Hudson uh, had disappeared for 25 years anyway uh, and came back twice his original height. Apparently, he was only 18 inches tall, which is quite extraordinary. But he came back uh, being about three feet tall. Um, so when, when I read that fact, um, I thought, hang on, these, these are two different men. So I turned that into a, you know, a, a, a fictional tale of uh, uh, murder, intrigue, spying. Uh, there's a diamond involved. Uh, and Paris ends up chasing the, the imposter to uh, to Paris, um, where he becomes embroiled in the affair de Poison, which, uh, uh, like London, was going through the Popish plot at the at the time. Uh, Paris was gripped in the hysteria of the affair de Poison, uh, and he finds himself caught up in uh, in all of that. Um, without giving too much away, um, he, he then has to uh, try and save the uh, the Queen. <laughs> wow yes it's a lot like the first one there's there's plenty going on um it, it is it is absurd uh which i love you know i i, I try and make the absurd plausible plausible uh hopefully i've uh, i've pulled that off um the uh, you know i i want to write thrillers so so um lots of stuff has to happen and uh, and, and harry has to get himself into a fair amount of trouble um, and find ingenious ways to uh, to get him out uh, out of that trouble. <laughs> now, the world of your characters is very scientific and detailed. How much research does it take you to write these novels? Well, this is what this is why my first book took so long. I, I um, wrote it around my my teaching um, job, so it was it was part time anyway. But um, it was a good. Um, 11, 12 years of, uh, of, you know, letting the thing build. And um, uh, the constant reading that I do kept informing uh, my, my um, plotless mess that it, uh, that it then was. And I, I would keep shoving, shoving stuff in. Um, uh, and then it ended up being a ridiculous length and, uh, and, you, and you end up simplifying it all, uh, it all down. But the, um, uh, you, you know the, the science of it is is what I'm interested in, and obviously they they bring it to bear in their investigations, which is uh, I find that very attractive. Bringing bringing 17th century science and knowledge, the the new philosophy as they termed it, um, to, uh, to to try and solve murders, 
um, I, I just I, I still kind of think is a is a neat idea. So I'm I'm uh, continuing with it um, with with book two, and I'm I'm willing willing to book three, which is uh, uh, you know uh, uh, another direct uh, in, in a similar kind of slightly absurd um, vein. <laughs> so there's a third novel in the making. Can you tell us anything about it? It's uh, a, a direct sequel. Um, so, so unlike the first book, which I, I never planned and it took forever, uh, I never had an ending. Um, I, it's all very carefully planned and, and plotted. So I'm, I'm at the writing sentences stage. I, I would say I'm, I'm halfway through. In, in this one, um, the, the, um, one of Hook's buildings um, that he designed and, and oversaw the building of was the Bethlehem Hospital. Um, and uh, uh, this this book is is very much based around the Bethlehem Hospital, um, and and also the anatomy that uh, the Royal Society engaged themselves in. Um, so uh, it, it all it also moves into, although the Popish plot is is still kind of going on at this time, it moves more into the exclusion crisis. Uh, where there was the, um, the 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 great debate and, and the great fear, really, of um, uh, Charles II's brother James taking over the throne, and, and he was a Catholic, which uh, uh, a lot of people um, were were very worried about. Um, and so, uh, the the Duke of Monmouth, um, Prince uh, King Charles II's um, illegitimate son. Uh, as he was a Protestant, he was he was being put forward and, and being championed as uh, as a successor to uh, to Charles II. So uh, this this book deals with with all of that. Um, I, I just have to write the rest of the thing now, which which does take a while. Perhaps before we let you go, Rob, would you share with us your process of writing? Um, I, I learned a few lessons with with book one. I, I kind of let it gather in a crew and you know, I'd, I'd read something, find, find some particular plum of, uh, of information and ended up rewriting stuff all, all the time. I, it, it was ill-disciplined and it, um, it, it took a very long time. I didn't have an ending. Um, book two, I, I started with the, with the ending. I, I knew what the ending was and I, I found that a far more uh, efficient way than to, to plot the book out. Uh, and then to and then to write it out. So um, I, I probably had a, a something like a twenty thousand word, maybe fifteen thousand, twenty thousand word outline before I started getting precious about sentences. Um, and I, I found that a lot of the uh, you, you get get a split between plotters and pantsers. And pantsers like to sit and write and see what unfolds in in front of them. Um, I, I find it far easier to deal with. Things like characters wanting to go their own way, kind of outside my control. Um, if, if I have a long outline first, I can, I can kind of stamp them down or or follow them. You know, it may, it may well lead to a, a better idea. But to do a long outline first, get, get a lot of things nailed down uh, be, before you you start getting precious about um, things like uh, word use, word order, um, word. Um, you know, vocabulary, and uh, it, it can be very, very sketchy. Uh, I, I found, for me, I'm not saying, um, to, you know, just a name drop here. I, I was chatting to Lee Child, 
uh, he he is very you know he loves the the blank page. He, he starts a new book on the same day of every year, and he writes and he finds out what the book's about uh, while he while he writes it. Um, I I have now gone very much to a, a planning um, uh, you know set set of mind where it just, it just makes me feel more more efficient, more in control, less panicky. I I know when I start a chapter what that chapter is aiming towards. And I know the button at the end of the chapter that's hopefully going to make people uh, want to read a, another chapter before they turn the lights off. Um, it makes me feel more secure to, to have a, a detailed outline. So, so I've continued that on into, into book three. Um, but, you know, Lee Child's written 27 books and sold them. 100 million plus copies what, what do i know but um but that that's my process at the moment rob thank you so much for being with us keep up the good work well thank you very much indeed michael it did it's been a pleasure to to, to meet you and uh, and chat to chat to you and uh, and thank you for having me on your uh, on your show friends you've been listening to new books and historical fiction a channel of the new books network until next time goodbye <laughs>